We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Weff. And as always, I'm joined by Tim all the way on the West Coast. We're so separated these days, Tim. You know, I'm in, I'm in Europe and you're still on the West Coast. Nine hour time difference. Um, tricky times, but how is it going over there? Yeah, it's going great, but uh, you're definitely in, in a better situation. You've been watching so many great uh, football games, one uh, covering um, different stadiums, exploring different cuisine at different stadiums. So, yeah, you're not missing much, my friend. But, uh, yeah, but the life here is uh, is, is, is exciting. It's uh, almost Christmas time. Uh, lots of Christmas parties, lots of, um, you know, Christmas events around it. Um, when I moved to Canada, it was funny because they start celebrating Christmas really end of november pretty much so yeah this is the festive period and it's, it's pretty beautiful here yeah you should see how they celebrate christmas in germany man it's like basically christmas day every day for 24 days straight hence, <laughs> hence all these amazing meals uh, at, at different games in the bundesliga stadiums it's just been incredible absolutely <laughs> incredible and i just love sharing it with, especially with my man andrew knowing how great the cuisine is in russian stadiums how is it going in russia <laughs> andrew how is life there ha, 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 very <laughs> Funny. Um, well, yes, the, the cuisine in Russian stadiums, as we were discussing off pod, is, is, is getting worse and worse to the point of being non-existent. Um, but other than that, other than being in- incredibly jealous of your, your Munich cuisine <laughs> in the Allianz Arena, everything, yeah, everything else is fine. Um, I, I will have my holiday, Christmas holiday in a week. I'll go back to England. So looking forward to that. But for now, we've got plenty, um, plenty to chew our way through, haven't we? It is plenty of topics. I mean, the winter break is here for Russian football, but that doesn't mean that that's not going to stop us um, because there's plenty of topics to discuss. But we actually have to briefly switch our attention to England. And um, Leonid Slutsky was, of course, fired by Hull City. Huge surprise there. Um, and I don't mean this because of Leonid Slutsky. It's mostly down to Hull City, I imagine. Andrew, um, this is a league and a competition that you cover probably more than the two of us, Tim and I. Um, tell us, what went down there? Well, to be quite honest with you, I've, I've been really, really upset by how it's gone. Um, the well, Long story short, Hull City have run by the Alam family, who are Egyptian-born, but they've lived in the city for over 50 years. But they, they're the sort of people who they tried to change the name of Hull City to Hull Tigers because they said it was more marketable worldwide. That's the type of people we're talking about here. 
they they care about the city, but they're more interested in making money from the club. But the problem is they're not putting enough in, or they don't have enough to put in. Um, and you know, Slutsky came in. He prepared for six months by being in England. He assimilated himself to English football, to the culture, and he spoke such good English even on his very first day in the job. I thought that's a really positive sign. Um, you know, and he started the season, well, started pre-season with some good results and started with a, you know, a good, good home win, his first home on, well, just gone horribly downhill from there. Um, you know, they hadn't won in the last something like seven or eight games since he was in charge. And to be fair, you know, it, it, it's a reasonable decision because Hull, with the players that they had before, and they still have one or two decent players as well, um, they, they should be doing better. Um, they, at the moment, are well only a few points outside the relegation zone. Um, so it's understandable, actually. Um, if he's going to get sacked, it should be now, not two or three months' time. Um, I'm just so desperately disappointed because it's not just for Slutsky, but for Russian football, because the reputation of Russian football, is, you know, as we know, is, is not desperately high in, in other countries, sometimes justifiably so, sometimes not. And this will be this will just be proof to the little Englanders who think ah Russian football's rubbish and nothing good comes from the Russian league and it's it's just such a shame for that I'm so so upset but unfortunately on purely football terms actually I have to say it's a justified decision really yeah but wasn't it always kind of like a mission impossible for him Andrew I mean given the transfers and the the upheaval at the club. Well, yeah, that, that is always going to be one of the harder things when you have um, owners like the Alams. And it, it, they've been try they've said openly they're willing to sell the club um, for some time, trying to sell and haven't found uh, suitable buyers. And when you've got an owner who's not committed, what they need is to keep the club as a marketable concern and instant results is even more urgent for them. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, it was always going to be difficult for him. And... Now, what, what he does next uh, is, well, it's, it's a hard one, really, because you can't imagine he'll be in demand, a great deal of demand now, now that people have seen, well, he's been at Hull, you've taken near the relegation zone, why would we give you the job? Um, and uh, it makes his, his job even harder to find work abroad now. He did well enough to get a job at Hull in the first place, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to see where, where next for, for Slutsky, to be honest with you. Tim, one of the rumors has been that he might be heading to Krasnodar to replace Shalimov. What do you make of that rumor? And do you think that would be a good fit? I think it will be an ideal fit, to be quite honest. I think it will be just a perfect uh, fit for Leonid Slutsky and for, for Krasnodar because they, um, Sergei Galiski, who is the owner of Krasnodar, he is a very progressive um, football uh, manager. And uh, Leonid Slutsky is probably one of the most progressive um, coaches in, in, in Russian football. He is definitely one of the top Russian coaches, and um, Krasnodar. Like, I don't know. They, from what I heard, the um, Sergei Galitsky is a big friends with uh, Shalimov. Uh, they hang out together. They live very close by. So there's like this friendship relationship. But at the same time, uh, the the club and the the players. Um, there have been some rumors coming out that they. Don't maybe it's not like they don't give hundred percent, but they kind of waiting for something to happen, and they are uh, waiting for a change. And um, when I pissed that all together, I thought maybe there is a connection that if uh, Slutsky got let got let go from Hull, 
maybe he will be the new coach of Krasnodar. Like it kind of really makes sense. Like if 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 you take a look at from my point of view, I think it makes sense. But it's impossible to say really right now. There's no really any obvious rumors about that. Uh, but in terms of fit, I think it will be in terms of uh, the the football the team plays. Um, Slutsky, even Ceska, always was fairly a cautious team. He knows how to play an attacking uh, football, and Galinsky really wants uh, Krasnodar to play very attacking football. Um, Slutsky is capable of building um, a team with um, a quality attacking force with the players which he has right now uh, at Krasnodar. So I, I think that will be a perfect, perfect actually fit. I'm not sure if um, Slutsky actually wants to come back because we heard rumors that he might get a a position uh, working into Chelsea's uh, in in the, in in the club, not in, in like, as a head coach, but working I think as a scout or something like that, or a technical director, which I have no idea what means. But um, it I think it's up to him if he wants to come back, and if Krasnodar wants him, I think it will be an ideal uh, solution. But I think the Lenny Slutki he would like maybe to stay in England because it seems like he was really enjoying his time in Hull just. Properly, like he was saying about how much people love football there and how different it is from Russia. I think you really got that good sense of working in a top league, and um, maybe he will stay there. So we don't really know. There's no he didn't say anything. Uh, Krasnodar obviously didn't say anything. But to answer your question, I think it would be a good fit. But it comes down to what really Leonid Slutsky wants next in his career. Yeah, definitely an interesting one to follow. I think that is. Once we know sort of where where this this story is gonna go, we'll revisit it. But boys, um, as I said, the winter break is here, and um, it was a fascinating first half of the season. And we have to actually say, uh, first two thirds of a season, right? Because we're twenty games in uh, into this season, and which means there's only ten left. But um, we kind of have to really, you know, bow down to Lokomotiv Moscow. And what they have done in this first half of the season, because I believe it's eight points now that they are ahead of Spartak and Zenit in first place. That's remarkable, isn't it, Tim? It is actually. It's nine points if we're talking about uh, Zenit, because uh, Zenit um, lost three nothing at home. So, and right now the the Russian league changed the rules. It used to be the number of victories. Um, when you have same number of points, who has the more victories uh, was above. Right now, it's. Um, um, uh, you know, personal matches. So actually, it's nine points for Zenit. So because like even if they have the same amount of points uh, for Lokomotiv, it's um, uh, Lokomotiv will be the champions. But um, it's just uh, amazing because the last time when Spartak went um, last year, when Spartak had plus five points ahead of um, Zenit, I believe it was. It was pretty much everyone saying, okay, it's almost done deal. Right now. Lokomotiv with less games to play, they're eight or nine points above. So it's it's remarkable what what Yuri Semin's uh, team achieved really, and um, I I just applauding uh, his work um, in the club and just what really Lokomotiv achieved without making any crazy transfers and spending shitloads of money on players like other teams uh, did this uh, year. So it just mm, it just. It just really a, a, a positive for, for for the league. It's a great squad, and uh, again, what what I've been talking for a while, um, we still have those legendary coaches who can do the job done, and they show their experience that they are just um, top level uh, on you know for Russia. Now, Andrew Sinit have spent a lot of money on their squad. Um, they cannot be happy with that eight point gap. I mean, this is eight points plus, of course, as Tim mentions the. 
if the two teams finish on even points, then Lokomotiv will be still ahead um, because of the head-to-head, -head, right? Um, but Andrew, that's a. Do you think they can still catch Lokomotiv? And I mean, I'm going. We're going to discuss the very same thing about Spartak in a moment, Tim. Um, and B. Do you think? Do you think there will be many changes? Um, there's been one change already with Anton Sabolotny coming in. I want to talk about him in a moment. But do you think there will be many changes to this this team? And do you think they can still catch Lokomotiv? Well, can they catch Loco? Mathematically, yes, I guess. Um, but it's going to take a monumental change of character um, to get out of this rut. And admittedly, you know, the... <laughs> The winter break is probably going to help Sunit more than it will help Loco because Locomotive are not used to being favourites. They they haven't been front runners, you know, consistent front runners over the majority of a season for quite some time, um, and they're going to have quite a long time thinking. Okay, we've only got ten games left, but we can't mess this up now. Will Loco have the character to withstand that? I actually think they will um, because they've got Semin in charge. He's, he's shown that he's an absolute master of what he's doing. He's completely in control of how he wants the team to play. Um, there aren't any divisive characters. Although Igor Denisov is in the team, he's playing well and playing for the team. Um, so he's got them all pulling in the right direction. Zanit have the talent, um, but I get the feeling, to answer one part of your question, I think probably they will bring in maybe more than just Zabalotny. It's the Zanit way to deal with it. They've, if they have the means, they will they will throw more resources at getting a better squad. But I'm not entirely sure that's what they need. I think they need somehow to just unlock this psychological block they have. If that is Mancini's problem himself, I don't know. But um, I tell you what, Mancini is under serious serious pressure now because you know it's you come in with that amount of backing, uh, the squad you already have, and to struggle so badly. That's a major, major, well, criticism on his, a black mark on his um, on his record as a manager. So plenty of movement, I expect, for Zanit. Um, but at this stage, really, I think it's Locos to lose at this stage. Um, and I don't expect them to, to lose it. I think they, they, will, they will be champions in the summer. I think it's really fascinating that Zanit, the, you know, the, the seven draws uh, that they have collected, that's really hurting them, isn't it? You know, that's... 14 points yeah. lost, um, just to put it into perspective. And that seems to be really where, where they have struggled the most. These, these unnecessary draws that they have picked up on so many occasions. And Loco have been so efficient. They've won 14, uh, drawn three and lost three. Um, just as many as Sinit have, um, were just behind them, right? And just as many as Spartak have, but, um, where, where Sinit and Spartak have drawn seven games each. Loco has been able to win um, four more games than both those sides, right? And that, then when you really come down to it, that seems to be almost really the big difference. And again, this is just 10 games left in the season. And um, in a sense, they in of these 10 games, they will have to collect, the two teams behind them will have to collect eight more points than, they, than Loco, right? In 10 games, that's a, that's a big ask. Um, that's a very big ask. And so I'm, I'm going to put this to you, Tim. Um, Spartak are pretty much in a very same situation than Sunit. Um, do you think Spartak can collect eight more points in the remaining 10 games than Lokomotiv and capture them? 
Mano, I, sli- I disagree with you because Spartak still has a game and that's actually the first game against Lokomotiv when they come back. So if they win, it's technically only five points. So mm. I think it really comes down to that very decisive uh, game of which it will happen uh, early March, I believe March 4th. And uh, if Spartak wins, uh, it's only five points. Plus, I'm looking right now at Lokomotiv's calendar. They have to play Krasnodar and Zenit. And they have a couple of um, not-so-easy away games. For example, going to uh, visit Andrews friends at, in Yekaterinburg um, right after they play Spartak. So, they're, 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 I think it really comes down to that key game. And if Spartak wins, I think it's all it's all good to go. And I, I'll still repeat myself and I say what I've been saying pretty much throughout the whole season. Uh, we're going right now into this long period of um, without games and when the teams will be um, uh, getting ready for the second part of the season. And I, like I said many times on this podcast, as long as uh, there's nothing uh, crazy happening in management and if it's not, if, as long as there's no conflict between Yuri Sermin and the management of the club, they're capable of uh, taking the, the league this, this season as, as soon as they start having issues between Yuri Sermin and whoever manages the club. I think this will affect significantly the club. So, like I said, two points. Comes down to the first game against Spartak and if it will be all peaceful inside the club. If it is, if they don't lose to Spartak and if anything is good, it's Lokomotiv's title to, to take. If, if, if they will start having internal issues and Spartak wins that game, I think Spartak can do it. It's interesting too because Spartak, of course, had a big game this weekend against CSKA where they did very well, right, Tim? And it was a fantastic game to watch. If you're a Spartak fan, not so much if you're a CSKA fan, and we have many CSKA fans <laughs> on this podcast, so we don't want to be too harsh on CSKA. But what I find interesting about this, this came, of course, off the back of the very heavy defeat in the Champions League for Spartak. And um, to turn this around in such a fashion, um, you know, a huge test of character, and they passed it. Now, of course, it's hard to take conclusions from that game against CSKA, and say, well, in three months, because <laughs> this is how long we'll have to wait, in three <laughs> months, they will be ready to play Lokomotiv in that game, beat them, and be uh, narrowed the gap to five points. But, um, you know, from what you've seen at that CSKA game, um, you would think, Tim, that Spartak have the character to get the result they need against Loko. Absolutely, Mano. And I will even go a little bit longer. In the games which I've seen against Zenit, in the games which I've seen against Krasnodar, against Arsenal Tula, and if you take a look just at the league, the last five games in the league, we won. And those games against Tufa, Krasnodar, Zenit, Arsenal Tula, and CSKA. That's not that easy. You have three big, big opponents, and we were able to win all, all those teams. So uh, that game against Liverpool kind of stands out because it was definitely, you know, it was obviously a horror show, and it was a game which, you know, but the team was able to really to go past that and perform play really, really well against Seska. So I think Spartak generally, the, 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 the final part of the season was a great, uh, great part for the season for Spartak. That's why, you know, I have that belief in, in the forward, but you're absolutely right. We have to wait three months and mm. no team can keep that same spirit and same footballing ability for three months. So it starts from, from, from zero pretty much when we go. So, but that, like I said, that end of the season gave me a hope uh, that it's possible. Another hope which I have is that uh, we already started 
start having a lot of rumors about uh, Spartak um, transfers. Uh, there's a rumor about Roman Neustetter. There is official offer to Fenerbahce. Uh, there's, um, there's an interest in young Dynamo player uh, Tashaev. There's a player who I cannot really pronounce, Tsumasi, uh, a player from Astana. There, there are those rumors. And if we go back to the champion season when Spartak won the league, it was exactly the same. Uh, when Spartak started this, uh, the, 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 the pre-season camp, they had four players in the squad, four new players. And it, it was exactly like this, right? After the first half of the season finished, they started looking for new players and they were very, very active. So I think Spartak needs an addition of few players. Mm, you know, maybe not four players, but like we need a couple of players to add to the squad just for, to, to, to make the rotation. But uh, really like that end of the season... And that match against CSKA and that victory over Zenit, that victory of the, over Krasnodar, gives me a good, good hope. Plus, I'm a massive fan of Marcel Carrera. I believe in his ability to really um, prepare the team to be ready for those 10 final games, 10 finals, like, like he was. He will probably say. So, and obviously, yeah, like um, the game against CSKA was just unbelievable. CSKA had their problems. It is, it is, you know, like I really respect them as as, as a rival, but it was really really hard because they had to play Van Bloom as a forward. Um, they had nobody on the bench, even they had pretty strong squad, a starting squad, but they really didn't have uh, players which would come on and really change the game. Uh, so it was a weekend CSKA side, but Spartak was unbelievable. I think the the, the first half was just f- fantastic. The games, the, the like the way they played, and the second half Spartak played really cautiously, and they pretty much they were up to nothing, and they just played very very based on the score. So good performance, great result, a great end of the season, and I'm very very hopeful for the. Uh, uh, final 10 games so yeah um, i mean we, we know that this is a very important part of the season in, in terms of transfers and um tim you already mentioned a couple of potentially uh potential deals for spartak and one of them of course roman neustetter who was rumored to go to spartak moscow but um the the one team that's already made a big change um is Zenit andrew and anton saboletny from Tosno, a player that we've mentioned quite a bit because he's deputed for the national team, right? And um, maybe one of the few standout players at that Tosno side has, has joined Zenit. And now this is this is a deal that could have potentially a lot of implications. One of them is, of course, Artem Suba. We don't know what's going to happen to Artem Suba um, because uh, obviously they now added another Russian national team striker which could potentially open the door to Artem Suba going elsewhere, Andrew? Yeah, I, I, cannot, see, I cannot see Zuba staying now um, because, I mean, if you look at the role that Zabalotny is likely to play, he's, he's, a very, he's a similar style of player, although I think much, much more proficient with the ball at his feet. Uh, he, I see him as an upgrade, to be honest, on Zuba. Um, but he, Artem Juba is still a guy who can score goals. He can definitely do a job for most clubs in the Russian Premier League. And I think, really, he's in an awkward situation now because I don't see him going abroad because, you know, with the World Cup coming up in six months' time, he's already fighting, I think, just to get in the squad at this point. So if he, get, if he risks going to another country, not settling, not playing, he might miss out on the home World Cup. Um, so I see... Possibly a loan move to another another club in the Russian Premier League happening. Um, 
which yeah, I don't think Zanit would be too disappointed with because um, they they can still get some money for him in the summer if they decide to get rid of him then. But if Zavalotny doesn't work out, they may also decide to keep Zuba. So they kind of they've got they've got a safety net if they loan him out. Personally, I think um, I think Krasnodar or Tesca might might do very well to get him. Tesca especially actually. Um, because you mentioned Vernbloom playing up front, and he, admittedly he's done very well as a makeshift striker, but he, he's not a striker by trade. So um, Dubai certainly see going out. And I saw yesterday that Zanita have basically told Alex Shatov that he can leave if they get 12 million euros bid for him. Um, now, he's a fantastic player, and how, how he could be without football would be inconceivable in the run-up to the World Cup. But again, the same risks apply. So... Certainly, Juba is uh, his place has got to be in danger at this point. Um, and like I say, I think a loan move to another Russian Premier League club is the most likely and feasible option for him. I just wonder if CSKA can afford him, Andrew. You know, because the salary is the big one. Even if they get him on a cheap loan deal, and CSKA have struggled so much with money True. issues, right? So, do they are they going to be able to cough up? I think it's four point five million euros that he earns a season. That's that's a lot of a lot of money, and you you wonder if that is going to work. But on the other hand, Ceskard really really need him. They really need a striker like Chuba. Um, but the can of worms that you open with that, with his Zenit past, with his Spartak past, you know, that I can see so many issues with that. And you just wonder if Ceskard are going to risk that. But on the other hand, if they have the money and you you get a player who can score probably ten twelve goals for you a season at least. Which is a lot in Russian football. Uh, you kind of need to go for it as well. Um, I guess the question is too with Krasnodar, what will happen to Fedor Smolov? Is Fedor Smolov finally gonna go abroad? Um, I think if he does, then Krasnodar would be all over Zuba, right? It'd be a nice, clean, uh, clean move for him. There would be no history between him and uh, any of the other sides. Um, Krasnodar it plays the style of football that he could easily slot into. So that would make a lot of sense. But I think it would depend on on what happens to Fedor Smolov. And I think that's going to be a major question mark throughout this winter, what's going to happen with Fedor Smolov. Um, as for Shatov, it's interesting that he was linked with something, a team like the, the Borussia Dortmund just a year ago, right? And now all of a sudden he seems to be surplus material. And Tim, that's, that's really too bad because he's such a exciting player to watch at times and 12 million euros is going to be a lot of money for a lot of teams in Europe. I, you think that he maybe will stay around in Russia instead or do you think he's going to go abroad? Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. It's the holiday season, and that means it's time to see old friends like Buddy the Elf, Heat Miser, and Clark Griswold. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. They're all here on AMC Plus. So celebrate the best Christmas ever, anytime, anywhere. AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Good question, actually, Manu. But uh, you're right. $12 million for a player who hasn't been playing recently that much. And it's interesting just to look at his story because he definitely had a conflict with uh, Mircea Luchescu, who really criticized him publicly and he didn't really play. Now he doesn't play with Mancini. And to be quite honest, he didn't really play much football in the past two years. So who would pay $12 million dollars? For a Russian player, uh, which foreign club will do that? I don't know this foreign club, and this has to be out crazy people. So um, also it doesn't really make sense for him if, if it doesn't really work out for him to stay in Zenit. Um, there were some rumors of him going to Tseska, but that's exactly exactly the same story as he, we just discussed about Zuba. Is, it, is the money there? I think he will be a good option for Tseska because Tseska like like they, they use those kinds of players, and he will be definitely an addition to... Uh, a, you know, minimal squad, which Ceska have. But at the same time, it's kind of sad. He was like, I viewed him as, you know, the new up-and-coming player who would be the leader of the 2018 Russian squad. And he really hasn't been playing football and he hasn't been in the same form for the past couple of years. Um, so it's 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 kind of a bit of a sad story because he was really up-and-coming and that talented player when he was back in Oral days and very talented player. And uh, I'm really kind of from Russian national team perspective, not very excited to, see, uh, not very happy to see him not playing alone to any other club, possibly, possibly, and he might be even going to a place like you know to Ural, maybe a lower league team, just to come, just to get this playing time ahead of um, ahead of the World Cup, because I'm sure he wants to play the World Cup and he wants to be one of the players to be considered to 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 be in the squad. So I, but I think it will also depend on the first couple of uh, training camps, which he will have with Zenit, because I don't think he will go right now. He'll probably try to get his place in the Zenit squad, and if he sees after a couple of training camps that he won't be able to get in, he will ask his agent to look for a loan deal uh, elsewhere in Russia. That's that's the way I see the situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating one, a really fascinating one. I think there's a couple storylines emerging of a few deals. That we'll get to see, especially after the the Christmas period, and I mean the Russian Christmas period in early January, right? So that's probably how long we'll have to wait. We'll probably see a few few moves being made now, um, but the the big, the huge amount of moves will be happening right after Russian Christmas uh, in the new year. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, something else to keep an eye on, and I think this is makes us almost like a broken record is the is this winter break period. Uh, we had a very lively discussion, Andrew, just a couple of weeks ago on this on this winter period. And there really isn't a right answer, I feel, one, right. one way or another, right? Um, I think there's, there's always, we're always going to have different opinions and different opinions and different suggestions. And for me personally, they change all the time as well. Now, I did read the interview with Leonid Fidun in Sport Express, uh, this morning and, and did a little bit of an article on footballgrad.com on the interview and my personal thoughts on it as well. And I thought it was a really interesting an interview with some interesting changes discussed to the schedule. One of those changes that he 
um, discussed, and I guess he must have listened to our podcast, was that he, <laughs> that he you know, get rid of the schedule, just schedule games wherever, and just instead of making it, you know, Team A playing Team B, and then having to play Team A and B in the second half of the season, just moving it around so that it fits the climatic situation of the country rather than the scheduling of the of the of the league, right? I I think that's very logical. <laughs> I think if you have a if you have a country the size of Russia, a country with the the, the climate of like Russia has, is I mean, Tim, the two of us, we live in North America. We have very many of the same issues. And in North America, we, we often complain about Major League Soccer scheduling, but when you look at actually the climate, it makes a lot of sense. And so, yes, sometimes you get to play teams two times within four weeks, but that, it, it, given the size of the, of the two countries and the, the climate, it makes sense, right? Now, um, in a sense, we do suggest the same thing. So is that maybe one way to fix the scheduling? To just say, okay, before we discuss all the other things that he suggests, but First off, is that the way to do it, Tim? Just schedule it, make sure that teams get to play in their stadium when it makes the most sense, weather-wise and nothing else. Absolutely. I totally agree with, with the Spartak's president. Uh, I complete with every, agree completely with every point of his interview. I, I think that makes complete sense. You cannot really play football in Skakhabarovsk, in Tomsk, in Perm in December. It's, 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 it's a bad product. You can't really watch it's it's more dangerous for players and you have to have some common sense russia is big russia has a very unique climate you have you cannot randomize those games you have to uh play uh, in areas like rostov in krasnodar in stadiums like zenith stadium which has an amazing roof and you can play it 24 7 football uh, every month of the year so i completely agree and i'm not sure why it hasn't been done because to me it's such an obvious decision the, the calendar doesn't have to be random if the calendar um, that the planning of the calendar makes the tournament a, a more interesting, a better product, a more convenient for fans and players. I don't see why you cannot do this. Like I don't like. I think that's it's such an obvious decision, which was really, you know, you just have to do it. And I completely agree with Fidun on this point and every other point of his interview. Yeah, well, let's go to the, uh, some of the other points, and I think the most fascinating that I saw. Um, was the reduction to 14 teams, Andrew, and basically playing a full uh, schedule um, that be 26 games until the winter and then split the league into two, a group uh, that plays against relegation, a play group that plays for promotion. Actually, this, this format exists in the Ukrainian Premier League, another league that we cover quite closely. Um, it has actually worked to a certain extent. Of course, the difference is that in Ukraine, they don't finish the first half of the season before the winter. They actually split the season at some point in the spring. But yet, I think this is actually an interesting one, right, Andrew, to say, okay, well, we split this. We split this league after the winter break and we have, um, in a sense, 40 games. Every club has 40 ga uh, 38 games, sorry. It would be 38 games, um, which would then allow every club to have 19 home games, right? But a lot of those 19 home games would be then against more major rivals. Spartak, for example, would likely always play in the promotion uh, zone uh, or in the championship zone. And that would mean two games in the first half of the se season against the likes of CSKA, Zenit, Lokomotiv, right? And then those two games again 
against those big rivals in the second half of the season. And, and for Saad, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, in the numbers that he said, I think if I have it on top of my head, he suggests that will make them alone on gate would make Spartak an additional $5 million uh, euros a season, which is a lot of money for a Russian football Premier League club. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very sensible suggestion. And the, the thing that stuck out to me, Manu, was that he, he mentioned himself, he's fully aware of the fact that the smaller clubs may well protest it. And if you look at generally what he's doing, yes, of course, the figure he mentions, it is going to benefit the bigger teams. They'll get, you know, bigger games against closer rivals. They'll fill out the stadiums more for them, whereas the smaller clubs will have to play for longer against less attractive options. But in the long term, it does, it does make the league more competitive. And, you know, if you think about that phase where you're getting towards the end of the, the first part of the season and you need to make the top seven to be in with a shout of Europe and within a, well, some within a shout of the title, um, it makes that part of the season, which traditionally a lot of teams have problems with and it, the, the motivation isn't always there, perhaps, um, it makes it more competitive. And in terms of exactly when they schedule it, I don't actually see the need to rush If we do his proposal where 26 games first part of the season uh, and then only, what, 12 in the second, I don't think there's any need to rush to finish before winter. They could have the last few games of the first part um, in spring. Um, I don't think there's any any problem with that. Um, but, you know, reducing the clubs to 14 but increasing the fixtures solves, solves two problems, really, um, because, you know, you'll have... The, the bottom end of the Premier League won't be quite so weak um, and also there'll be more competitive games. So I, th I think it's I think it's win-win. I genuinely think it is a sensible option. Um, and I know it's going to sound bad, but I actually don't see a problem with strengthening the stronger teams because in the end, what we want to see is the best players in Russia. We want to see the Russian teams playing the best teams. And this in the long term will just slightly move the bigger teams into a more competitive state. You know, there's no point trying to have 16 level teams. You know, you want teams to have a chance. You want it to be competitive. And this schedule gives you that. But also you want the bigger teams to be competitive on a bigger scale, on a European, on a continental scale. And I see it helping in that sense, too. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of these proposals. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, there's obviously pros and cons. But I think what he does, too, and one of the things he suggests is... Um, licensing along north american lines of course in north america we have a franchise system right clubs get into leagues there's no promotion relegation Fedun, and this needs to be pointed out does not suggest getting rid of promotion and relegation but what he says is make it stricter for clubs to get licenses in order to guarantee that clubs play in top facilities and um, he mentions the all-weather stadiums right i think we are now at a point where in a place like st petersburg Uh, in the marvelous Kostovsky Arena, you can play year-round. And that is something, you know, that would allow to shorten maybe the winter break and actually get closer to that European level. It is similar in Spartak Moscow Stadium. Uh, we're getting to a point now where you can play almost year-round. You still probably will need a winter break, but it wouldn't have to be three months long. And I think this is really what he suggests. And Russia is building a whole bunch of beautiful new stadiums right now for the World Cup. And we see that a bunch of those World Cup stadiums won't actually have Russian football Premier League teams because, you know, there's sites like Samara, Nizhny Novgorod, they're struggling. Um, and Saransk is another one, right? Those are going to be beautiful stadiums. And I think 
what he's what he's sort of suggesting is that maybe if you bring in tougher licensing you guarantee that the clubs with the nice stadiums will actually play in this league at some point or another it would of course take some time an adjustment an adjustment period but i think that is actually something that sooner or later would work and i think you know um given the new stadiums that are coming in that is a good idea but it also would force some of the other teams to invest into the grounds and say exactly. okay well, exactly yeah no it's a triggering down effect right if you reduce the league to 14 teams and then at the same time you say well you also need to have the facilities then all of a sudden the teams in the second division they all want to the ones that are really ambitious and want to get to the first division they will have to put in money into their facilities and that will end that silly idea of governments more or less paying for for stadiums right that they that they can't or for players and clubs that they can't afford and they're not putting into money into the infrastructure so i think this is the, there's some really positives here and i mean tim um reducing that winter break could be a major key for for russian clubs to do better in europe because we're going to talk about the european games in just a moment but right now as we we have four teams in the europa league and those four teams, their first two games in the spring, in February, will be in the Europa League. You know, two weeks before the, the, the second half of the season in Russia actually kicks off. That's a huge problem. Exactly. Like, I'm, I mean, it's very hard for the team to, to, to go into those decisive matches, which will pretty much determine the rest of your season without playing any competitive games. So it's, it's very hard for, for clubs to, to, to play that. So, but again, as of right now, Russia cannot hold a um, match day in February because we don't have facilities. Like, I, it's impossible to play football in February in Perm or, you know, in other other cities. Uh, so, he, I think this Fidum, he speaks complete sense. Like, everything he says is, makes complete sense. And I'm not sure why it hasn't been looked at before because it's, it's it, to me, it's obvious. And, uh, yes, obviously, like, if we have those beautiful stadiums, like you said, you can play at uh, Kristovsky all year round. Uh, if you schedule those early games, like he has been saying, in uh, in, in, in Krasnodar, in uh, Mahachkala, in other warm cities like uh, Rostov, uh, in those parts of the city, uh, you can play football there. It, it is, it is, it is possible. So, to me, he, everything he, he says makes complete sense. It makes league more competitive. It makes league uh, as a better product. And I don't see anything which like would stop, uh, like should stop um, this from going through. Uh, at the same time, uh, a few clubs, and actually I'm interested in Andrew's opinion on that. A few clubs, and especially uh, lower league clubs, they said that uh, that Fidun is only thinking about himself and his top club and his interests. In my opinion, but uh, they say that it like this uh, revolution which um, Fidun is proposing kills the interest of lower league clubs. And I kind of agree, I see that point, but if you don't want to be this lower league club, then build a stadium uh, and be competitive. Be able to play in that new strong league, which Fidun suggests. So again, like like we, what me and Manu was saying, that it makes other clubs to progress and to build the stadiums and to be to be competitive and to be part of that 14 uh, teams league. So, uh, Andrew, what do you think in terms of like uh, lower league clubs? Yeah, I I think it's um I think it's a valid point because you know I I look at it um from the perspective of us an oral reporter slash supporter and it, it's you know we'll move into the Centralny Stadium um which we we already have that facility so in one sense I I can speak a little bit more 
Well, um, it's easier for me to say I, I agree with it because we've got that stadium on our doorstep. But the fact that you mentioned the World Cup stadia, that's a very good point because those the amount of investment that's gone into them is just eye-watering. And it always is, no matter what the country is, if you have to rebuild or, or build from scratch so many new venues. But it's a great way of basically giving clubs an incentive. And what I hope it will do, and what I really, really hope it will do, and for me, this really is... The only way the long-term future of Russian football will be at its absolute best is if this move that Fyodun is suggesting is coupled with an encouragement towards more private investment. It's Again, you mentioned sounding like a broken record, Manu, at the beginning of the pod, you know, when we talked, said we were going to talk about the, the winter break. Well, another another part of that broken record is the, the funding and the state funding of many clubs. It's just a nonsensical model. And for a long time, it's been shown to, to not be successful. So this is a way, I think, a very good way of, of enforcing that change, you know, move clubs towards um, private investment. Because they you know, finding it, yes, it's easier said than done, but it, it, that's the way the, the sport is going to flourish. Um, and it's, it's going to take a long time. This is not it's not an easy thing. Any change to move Russian football into a healthier state is going to take time. Mm. So somebody's got to say it and somebody's got to implement it. So for a club like Odal, yes, we're lucky to have the Centrality Stadium to, to move into. Um, but these venues don't need to be huge. You know, the, for, for other clubs that are not um, in World Cup host cities, you know, a venue of 10,000, 12,000, that is more than enough. You know, the average attendance of the whole league is less than 10. So I personally think, if they're being really honest, the smaller clubs will realise that, look, if you want to get anywhere, this is what you've got to move towards anyway. So I think it fits. Yeah, and I think there's there's something else to be said too. I mean, we're looking at some clubs where you almost wonder if they have a business being in this league. Tosno, for example, don't even play in Tosno. They play in St. Petersburg. You know, why have a team named Tosno playing in the Russian Football Premier League if they can't even play to in Tosno? And this is, I mean, maybe it's unfair to single out Tosno on this one, but, you know, Ska Habarovsk, yes, Habarovsk is part of Russia, but um, maybe they grew a little bit too fast. And in a 14-league team, it would be a lot harder for them to get into this league. Um, so I wonder, last year we had Tom Toms. Remember that debacle, guys? I mean, they went bankrupt in January <laughs> okay. 1st, right? And maybe teams like that just don't, there's no business for them to be in the top flight. I'm all for smaller clubs getting a chance, but these smaller clubs need to be on healthy financial footing. Yes, Tosno are, but they don't exactly. have the, they don't have the infrastructure to play. You know, why play, why not name yourself, why is not Dinamo St. Petersburg in this league, for example, right? Um, yeah. that they will actually play in St. Petersburg and maybe have the backing. So, ah, it is. There's a lot that needs to be done. I think that Vidun, um, yes, the smaller clubs are going to be upset about it, but it's because he speaks the truth. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and uh, I mean, I don't think Vidun is alone with this. I'm pretty sure that the, the guys at Zenit uh, think very similar to his proposals. Um, you know, or the likes of Krasnodar, etc., that have, have these facilities. So I, I think he's basically saying what everyone is thinking anyways. And then, of course, the smaller clubs are not too happy about it. But I mean... Let's mention some one of the smaller clubs is Rostov, and Rostov are going to move into a brand new World Cup stadium next year. So, what do what would someone like them have to worry about, right? So, I mean, it makes makes a lot of sense, and I think 
for European competitiveness, it is something that they have to do. Now, I do want to talk about the Champions League draw and the Europa League draw briefly, guys. Um, Shakhtar Donetsk, start with them or Ukrainian friends, Tim. They signed an extinct bird just last week in the name of Dodo, another Brazilian. It was a huge surprise there. Shakhtar loved their Brazilians, but it's actually the first Brazilian that they signed from Brazil directly since they brought in <laughs> Bernard. So, um, you know, it's been a while, but they got Roma. Um, another Italian team. Shakhtar have been very experienced with Italian sides. This is this is a really good draw for them. And unlike the, the Russian Football Premier League, the Ukrainian Premier League actually starts the week before the Champions League kicks off. So a little bit better for them than what the Russian teams, and we'll get to the Russian teams in a moment in the Europa League, have to face. But this is this is still a very difficult draw, isn't it, Tim? Well, I think it's a difficult draw. Any draw in round of 16 of Champions League will be difficult for any uh, football grad club. But, uh, well, it's better than other options they had. Uh, so I, I think Roma is a club where, where they actually have chances of going through if they would have drew, um, you know, any other of bigger clubs. Uh, then maybe, maybe like, you know, likes of PSG or like Barcelona, Real Madrid, all those clubs. But um, Roma, is, is, it is a sensible draw. Like, you know, it's something that you can work around and, um, you know, playing at home in the cold uh, Ukraine. So Roma, we will not sure how they will cope. Roma didn't, didn't have an easy game when they play away at Karabakh. So I think Shakhtar is, is, has, has good chances. I think it's a good draw for them. Obviously, nothing, like I said, in, in, in round of 16 of Champions League is easy. But, but this is doable and, um, you know, we, I hope Shakhtar will go through. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally really excited about this draw. I think it's, an, it's going to be a fascinating draw for us to cover on the Football Ground Network as well. And uh, to have Shakhtar Donetsk go through, they emerge from a very difficult group. You know, um, with with a huge victory against uh, City, and we spoke about this in great lengths last week. So I don't want to indulge it too much, but yeah, it's going to be a fascinating one uh, to watch. But um, yeah, let's boys, let's talk about the the Europa League draw. And I really want to go through it um, match by match. And um, Andrew Ceska Moscow, this is a side that you covered quite a lot because they were in the group of Manchester United. They drew Red Star Belgrade. And this is, this is, of course, an interesting one because this is a derby. And people will say, wait, well, that, this is a derby? Why is this a derby? <laughs> it is a derby because Red Star Belgrade, they, have, they are um, friends with your side, Tim, right, Spartak? Yeah. Um, and CSKA Moscow, they have a fan friendship with Partizan Belgrade. So this is actually a derby. This is a fascinating game, Andrew, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think that undercurrents of the 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 fratria partnership or, or friendship with with Red Star and and Ceskars with Partizan is is actually going to make this a hell of a tasty tie. It could be could be one of the ties to watch actually um, in the in the first knockout stage because of that. Because at this stage, you know, some you know some clubs dropping down into the Europa League. Um, some are just nervous about getting through. But both these sides are going to be. Oh God, the atmosphere is just going to be absolutely absolutely. Insane. I would love to be there, but um, behind a fairly safe wall of glass, I'll be honest. <laughs> but no, I mean, I mean, in all seriousness, um, Red Star have for a long time struggled uh, since they since they had their glorious heydays in the what late eighties, early nineties. Um, they they haven't really been a great force for quite some time. But they, I I just get the feeling this is going to be much closer than Tesco would like. On paper, they should be going through. 
even with their thin squad, they should be going through with re- not ease, but they should be going through. They are definitely favourites. But you know, if if their away draw in in Serbia goes um, goes horribly wrong, which it could do, um, then it really could be a tricky tie to get past. So. You know, there are other bigger teams, more well-known sides in the draw, but Red Star, certainly not going to be easy. Um, but definitely, I'd say possibly possibly the round of the, the, the tie of the round, even. Yeah, I, I would go along with that. I think this is going to be a fascinating game, especially with these undercurrents. Um, you know, Red Star and Spartak being friends and uh, CSKA and Partizan being friends. And that's, of course, because Partizan, like CSKA, have a background in the military, right? But yeah, this is going to be a fascinating one. The next game I want to talk about, Tim, is going to be just as fascinating. Uh, is Celtic against Zenit. And we were, we had, um, Chris Williams from the Football Ground Network at the Celtic Bayern game. And he, he's still in awe about the atmosphere and all that. But this is a game that will have two heated games, I think. Celtic Park, of course, the, the, the paradise is going to be fantastic. And the Kostowski Arena has proven to be such a wonderful ground too. So this is another big game and a fascinating game for everyone to watch, isn't it? I agree. And I think uh, same as what Andrew said, I don't think it will be a, an easy game uh, for Zenit, given that it will be the first game of the season. Uh, they have they wouldn't play any competitive games before and they go in straight away to play in a Celtic Park, which is an amazing atmosphere, like Chris says. And it will be tough. Because, you know, it will be 70,000 going absolutely nuts. And uh, it's your first game of the season. You're definitely in your top playing conditions. So I can see this going pretty wrong for, for, for Zenit in the first game. Uh, if they lose one nothing, 2 nothing without scoring an away goal, and then go and play at home, again, in, in the very, very early stages of the season, that could be a very, very hard draw for them. So even, you know, some, some people have been saying, oh, Zenit got the easiest draw out of all Russian clubs. I don't think so. Mm. Celtic is Celtic is a very experienced side with unbeaten record of how many seventy games or something. They have been unbeaten in the league, and they played in Champions League. I do it. I don't think it's going to be easy. So I think it's actually a very tough draw for Zenit, and uh, I think it it will all be kind of decided in the first game uh, at Celtic Park at this amazing stadium. Yeah, and I'm actually going to stick with you, Tim, because <laughs> your side got Athletic Bilbao. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> you say oof. We've seen Athletic Bilbao because they were in a group with uh, Soria, Luhansk and Hertha Berlin, right? So we've, we've covered them quite a lot in the group stage of the Europa League, as we did with Spartak, obviously. Um, what do you make of this draw? I mean, Atletico Bilbao, they're one of those teams in Spain. They only play with Basques, but yet they're still a difficult side, aren't they? I think they're a very di- difficult side. San Mask is uh, one of the you know, most uh, passionate and loudest stadiums in, in, in Spain. And I think it's a very hard draw for Spartak. Uh, people have been saying, oh, if we won a Sevilla, if I won nothing, we, should be, we shouldn't be having any problems with Atletico Bilbao. I completely disagree. First of all, that 5-1, as much as it was a legendary game, it was a fluke. It wasn't a 5-1 game. Spartak is not better than Sevilla by 5-1, which they showed in the away game. And uh, again, going back to the first game of the season, playing against the Spanish side, which will be in form, which will be in playing uh, conditions. Uh, and Bilbao is a tough, tough opponent. I, I've, I follow Spanish League quite a lot, a lot and it's not going to be an easy game. It's, it's going to be a very tough match for Spartak. I'm actually I'm very cautious about uh, those two games. And we play in the second game away, which is also tougher. So it's a tough draw for Spartak. Uh, we'll have to see, obviously, in which, in what form the teams will arrive um, closer to February. We will know 
we won't know the form of Spartak because we, they won't be playing any games. We will have a kind of an idea which uniform Athletic Bilbao are, but I still, it's a very tough draw for Spartak. Yeah, I, w- I would go along with that. I think it's, that's a, a very tough one. I mean, they're all exciting draws so far. Yeah. Um, so we're very fortunate because we're going to, of course, cover them all. But, you know, the next one, and I'm going to go to you, Andrew, because you did most of the previews for Lokomotiv Moscow for the Football Grad <laughs> Network, and that's Nice against uh, Lokomotiv Moscow. Another very difficult draw, although Nice have struggled at times um, during this season. So what do you make of this one, Andrew? Well, yeah, I'd say I actually agree with um, Tim's assessment that the the Spartak draw against Bilbao is going to be a tough one. Um, Zanit, I, I expect over over two legs to go through against Celtic, um, but I think Spartak Bilbao will be very closely contested. Nice, well, you know they they're a funny side really because a couple of seasons ago um, nobody would have considered them really as a European force, and then. They, you know, when Mario Balotelli joined them, he scored for fun and he's really starting to find, uh, well, not his the form he showed when he was a, a teenager and a 20-year-old in Italy, but he's scoring goals for certain. Uh, Wesley Snyder, don't forget, is mm-hmm. there. I mean, there, there's an experienced playmaker if there ever was one. Um, so, Loco are up against a side who, are, they don't have a long-term pedigree, um, but they do have some game changers in the side. So, I think Loco really are going to, I imagine they will just play as safe as possible in the in the first leg in France. Um, Semin has shown that in Europe already this season. And against Copenhagen, it was probably the dullest, but effective nil-nil draw. Um, got the point they needed away from home. And I expect that's what he'll go for in the in the first leg and, uh, and rely on, on the return leg in Moscow. So, Nice should be again should be beaten, but that's a dangerous word to use in this te- context because what side, which loco will turn up in the spring? We still don't know. We've not seen them mm. in this position so far. So, yeah, um, interesting. But I definitely, I definitely feel loco are the favourites. But it's there's always a but in there. It just depends which loco turns up in the spring. Yeah, I, I would definitely go along with that. The winter break is always the big factor, isn't it? We don't know what's what's going to happen. Uh, during the winter, what changes are going to happen? So yeah, it'll be an interesting one to follow. Of course, the other two games that we're going to closely follow in the Europa League um, is I uh, Athens against Dynamo Kiev. I think that Dynamo Kiev, you know, they they have one game less than Shakhtar Donetsk right now, and they're only three points behind Shakhtar Donetsk. And Shakhtar Donetsk have been excellent. So Dynamo Kiev are slowly but surely uh, under Katskevich um, regaining the form that they had when they won two championships in a row. And I think Dynamo have a very good chance of going through there and Ukrainian teams always do really well in the Europa League um, in the later stages. I mean, it was just a few years ago that they had, um, that the Dnepro reached the final. Uh, we don't, we don't want to talk too much about what happened with Dnepro since, but um, yes, they always do really well. And then of course, Astana got through uh, the first side from Kazakhstan to, to reach knockout stages of a European competition. They have a tough draw against Sporting. Astana is a difficult place to travel to for any European side. They have shown that on countless occasions. I think the very thing with Astana is that some of the players like Pumasi um, or Katabaganga um, are now in big and high demand in big European sides. Tim, you mentioned, of course, Spartak after Pumasi. I mentioned, I heard Stuttgart after him as well. So, um, you know, there is, there could be taken apart a little bit by the big European sides uh, over this winter transfer window, which I hope 
of course doesn't happen, but it's likely because uh, yes, Kazakhi teams have a lot of money, but on the other hand, they're also playing Kazakhstan and uh, some of the bigger European leagues just have that uh, the, the drawing power. But it, an interesting tie, a good tie, and a, you know, uh, be interesting to see how Astana will come out and start into the new season because for them this will actually be a new season because they use the calendar year schedule in Kazakhstan. But boys, yeah, that concludes our podcast for this week. Um, Andrew, it's almost Christmas um, for you. I guess not so much for your family, depending on whether you do the Russian or um, European Christmas. <laughs> but um, I guess still plenty of things still happening. Um, let, let people know where can they find you? What have you been up to? Uh, the floor is yours. Well, yeah, I'm on, on Twitter at Andrew M.I.J. Flint and um, I'll be I'll be indulging in a bit of uh, lower league English football for a change um, over Christmas, going back to England for three weeks. And I'll be applying for accreditation um, for the Celtic uh, Zenit game in February. So hopefully I'll be doing some live coverage for football grad then. Um, and uh, yeah, but taking a little break from Russian football obviously getting back into the swing of it in time for the European games yeah that's excellent stuff and we'll definitely make sure that you'll be able to cover those Celtic games um, Tim how about you what have you been up to I mean it's Christmas time so Vancouver yeah. North America Christmas time it's crazy but uh, what else is going on yeah it's getting on Christmas uh, my band is playing two shows this weekend we're playing one in Vancouver one in Chilliwack and uh, so I'll be busy with that but after that, I'm taking a couple of weeks off from work just to recharge the, the batteries and um, watch some football, which will be hopefully available uh, for 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 my consumption. <laughs> and uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, people can find me on Twitter Russian Tim sixty one and Instagram Rocket from Russia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, and I, I've been your host Manuel Vef. Uh, I'm still busy in Germany. I have, yeah. we have, of course, Chris Williams at the Stuttgart Bayern game. I take, I'm taking a break this weekend. It's been a bit too busy for me. Um, but I'll be back in action next Wednesday. I'm going to be covering, uh, the Bayern Borussia Dortmund quarterfinal for the Football Grad Network. Uh, big game in Germany. Big, big Christmas present actually for German football. And then we're going to go into the German winter break as well in the Christmas period. But yeah, if you want to follow me and follow all of this stuff and do some videos on the Bundesliga right now, uh, and everything related to the Football Grad Network. Um, you can follow me at Manuel Weff, or you can just go and follow at Football Grad Live. All our content is on there, be it Bundesliga, Liga MX, MLS, of course, is, uh, first transfers are already happening that you can find on there and um, everything else that we put out. So yeah, give that a follow as well. Well, boys, that's it. Christmas time. Uh, we'll be back probably after the Christmas period pretty soon. But until then, das wird dann jetzt. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.